talking about seeking first God's kingdom and what it means to be kingdom seekers and, and what it means to uh, uh, be citizens of God's kingdom. Now, I have one child who has dual citizenship. Uh, she was born in, in another country that gave her citizenship upon birth. Uh, we then had to go to the U.S. Embassy and confirm that she was our child and show all the documents so she would have her U.S. citizenship as well. Uh, the thing about having dual citizenship like that, and there's, there are some circumstances where it doesn't work out this way, uh, but, but for her, that meant that sooner or later she was going to have to decide, where was she? <laughs> Who was she? What country was she a part of? Now for us, we, we, we had a certain opinion about which country that should be, uh, but, but she could have easily have, have chosen the other if she had so desired. It had been perfectly all right. As believers, well, first of all, as people, we are born here. We are citizens here. We are citizens of the... Uh, United States or whatever country you, you, are, you were born in. Uh, but if you are a believer, you are also a born-again citizen of God's kingdom. Now here's the thing. When it comes to the citizenship of this world and the citizenship in God's kingdom, sometimes you have to make a choice. Because sometimes those two kingdoms, in fact, just about every day, those two kingdoms come into conflict with each other. So today we're going to talk about what happens when you become a kingdom seeker. First of all, I'm going to talk about some changes, and then I'm going to talk about how those changes work out outwardly. Two or three, uh, two or three of those, uh, if you're lucky, I might get carried away. We'll, we'll see. Someone said... They want to be, me to be finished up and let y'all out of here by one. So I think I have till 1145. <laughs> but uh, I don't think most of you agree with that. Uh, but uh, let's take a look at these verses. Start at verse 19. We're going to look at the first three verses to verse 21 to begin with. The first change that happens is that when you become a kingdom seeker, primarily, there's going to be change in what you treasure. Verses 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven when, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you think about only this kingdom, this life, the here and now, you're going to pursue one kind of treasure. And what Scripture teaches is that treasure is temporary. It doesn't last. There are three things that are eternal. There's God's Word, there's God Himself, and there's the souls of men. And only to the degree that you invest your life in those three things do you gain eternal treasure. All else is going to decay and burn. I don't care if you are the sole owner of the Mona Lisa. Valuable painting. I don't know how much that thing would be worth. But if you were the sole owner of it, you know what? how much of it you'll carry to eternity? Zero. 
Someday the Mona Lisa is going to decay, perhaps burn. It's going to be gone. But that, thing you, that little thing you did for God, that little thing you did to share Christ with someone else, that little thing you did to show the love of God to someone else, that lasts for eternity. So where is your treasure? What do you treasure more? Are you living for only what this world, what this life has to offer, or are you living for God? Are you living as a citizen of his kingdom? Are you seeking his kingdom first? So when we begin to focus our time, our treasure, our talent in those things that are eternal, we begin to accumulate treasure in heaven that will meet us there. Second change that will happen is there'll be a change in what you value. Verses 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, the, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now these, what these verses simply say is that your eyes will focus on what your heart most desires to see. And if you are focusing on those things that are dark, that are not of God, then the light that fills your life, the light that fills your heart is darkness. What we focus our eyes upon is what our heart wants to see, and that truth should scare some of us. Simply put, what you value most is what you're, you're going to focus your five senses on. It's going to be what you want to see. It's going to be what you want to hear. It's going to be so, what you want to feel, what you want to taste, what you want to smell. So are your senses focused on earthly things or heavenly ones? Are your choices determined by what brings you immediate physical gratification or does your heart value your relationship with God above all else? See, there's a lot in this world that will distract us. There's a lot in this world that will deceive us. I did did something this past week. I got a gym membership. So I went to the gym, you know, once I pay for something, I'm going to do it. If it kills me, I'm going to do it because I've I've invested in it. So I went to the gym and I was doing this rowing machine and I could see across the way a mirror so I can see myself in the mirror and then in the mirror, my arms look this big. (laughs) So I'm thinking, wow. And then I look down, it's like reality. (laughs) I mean, the world is like that mirror. It makes things look a whole lot better than they really are. A whole lot bigger than they really are. Every sin that we commit, no matter how sudden it is, it's when we take our eyes off that which is eternal and put our eyes on what, that which is earthly. I mean, even the sins that seem to creep up on you like this. Because you can be driving along 
and suddenly you're distracted by that moron at the, four, at the four-way stop on Glover and, and, and Hampton Bridge Road who thinks that that is the Miltonian version of Russian roulette. <laughs> and suddenly you are sinning in your heart, if not out loud. Not, uh, yes, I know something about that. I'll admit it. Beating on kingdom seeker will also change what and whom you serve. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus warns against serving money, meaning trying to get more and more and more instead of serving God. I mean, honestly, how much is enough? Sometimes I think, what would I do with, you know, several million dollars? And the only thing I can think of is not much, because I can't think of that many things to spend it on that I really want or need. I'm sure I could think of something if I had it. But just to think about it, I'm like, why would I need that much? And yet there are people who pursue wealth and more and more money and more and more money as if it's a game and the money is the points that they accumulate. But it's not just about money. You see, you can't have more than one master. And that goes beyond money. Jesus is either your master, your Lord, Or he's not. You can't have divided loyalties. You can't be a Georgia fan and a Georgia Tech fan. (laughs) You can't be Auburn and Alabama. You've got to be one or the other. Well, maybe you can try, but... You know, I, I was amazed. There were no Georgia fans here until they started winning national championships. Now I see hats, tags, everywhere. <laughs> and I think on every one of those cars, there was an Alabama tag before. <laughs> Why? Because they're not really fans. <laughs> Where is your loyalty? Who is your master? You can't put anyone or anything above Jesus Christ. You can't try to be a people pleaser and serve God. We must live a life as if we have an audience of one, and that is God himself. And he alone we want to please, and he alone we want to serve. But also being a kingdom seeker will change your anxiety level. For the better, don't worry. Verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking mostly to his disciples, most of whom came from humble circumstances. Working class people. And I'm sure as they're listening and and he's talking about those who pursue wealth and those who pursue money and those who have the things they don't, they're probably thinking, yeah, yeah, you tell them. I mean, amen, you know. He's preaching on someone else's sin. I can say amen to that. But now he starts talking about what was their concern? See, most of them were just worried about day-to-day existence, having food, having clothes, having shelter, the things we define as needs, the things that are needs. And Jesus is challenging them, don't worry about your needs. Don't think you've got to pursue meeting your own needs. Seek for God's kingdom first, and I'll take care of that. Jesus is telling them, you know, as they're sitting there and they're thinking about their basic needs and they're saying, surely I have to meet those before I can pursue God's kingdom. Jesus is saying, no, you don't. Seek God's kingdom first. Make that your priority, and God will take care of all that. And he tells, he's telling them to replace their worry with faith. Now, there may be some exceptions, but most of us in general don't have to worry about our needs. Most of us have our basic needs met. Now, we may be disappointed in what kind of car we have. We may be disappointed in the house we have. We may be disappointed with these things. And even if we're living paycheck to paycheck and wondering how can we pay the bills, which goes deeper than this this appointment becomes worry, what Jesus is saying here is that worry is futile. It serves no purpose. Worry never added an hour to your life, is what he says. In fact, we know now, worry has probably taken away quite a few hours from our lives. So he's saying, seek God's kingdom 
first. So how do we do that? How do we make that a reality in our life as those changes happen? The first thing we have to do is understand what God's kingdom is. Now, this is a little bit of a long definition, but simply put, the kingdom of God is God's saving and transforming reign, his kingship, which invades our present world through Jesus Christ and continues through his church. In other words, let's go back to when Jesus came into this world. There was a Roman Empire. That was the kingdom. They were the ones who were all-powerful. They were the ones who ruled everything, every aspect of people's lives. And God's kingdom through Jesus Christ invaded that world. And Jesus stepped into that world and said, I'm Lord. And he left a church after him that says to the world, he is Lord. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Now his kingdom is both now and not yet. Now we focus a lot on the not yet part. You know, there, there's Christian books out there, how, how the world is going to end, revision number 23. <laughs> because every, every, every time something happens, we think we've got it figured out. All we really know for sure is Jesus is coming back. And he will reign on this earth and his kingdom that is we have a taste of here will become the manifest reality that covers all one day. And no one's going to say, oh, I wonder where God's kingdom is. It's there. It's present. And that hope shapes our now. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 13. Peter writing to churches that were suffering persecution. He said, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. He's talking about the coming of the Lord. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away and roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. See, that's what we get fascinated about. How's it all going to end? What is it all going to look like? Who's the Antichrist? What's going to happen in Europe? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen to our country? How do we all fit in that in time? And what... Peter says here to the churches that are facing persecution is, yes, that is all going to happen. In verse 11, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, we worry about the new heavens and the new earth and what they're going to be like. 
we're concerned about that, all the Bible says to us is, it will happen. Trust it. Believe it. But in the meantime, what kind of people are you going to be? See, our main concern is not how it's going to end. We know it will and we know it'll happen. We know Christ will reign on this earth. The main, our main interest in the here and now is as a result of that, as a, because we believe that, what should I be doing now? How should I be living now? And that is the now part of the kingdom. Our future hope in God's kingdom is made manifest and being made manifest and fulfilled drives us to live out our citizenship in God's kingdom here and now. So we must seek God's kingdom first. As God brings those changes in our lives as we become kingdom seekers, as we begin to focus on what we do in the here and now as citizens of God's kingdom, here's some things that happen. One thing that happens is the spread of, the, of his kingdom becomes our first priority. We share the gospel and use our gifts to edify the church so that the church can be better equipped to share the gospel. We invest our treasure in the expansion of God's kingdom. Our prayer life becomes kingdom focused in place of being only personal needs focused. Going back to that, that idea of, of Jesus coming back, of his kingdom being made manifest here. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, In this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. It's the most clear thing in that passage of what has to happen before he returns. Revelation 7, 9 talks about people from every tribe, nation, kingdom, language, being in the presence of God. This kingdom that we are a part of is to go to everybody in the whole world. Starting with your neighbor across the street or your family member who may be lost. But if we understand God's kingdom as it should, as it grows and as it expands, the borders of our concern also expand. As one person said, there is not one square inch of human existence that God does not declare to be his own. He is, he is rightfully the Lord of all. And if that's the case, and it is, then everywhere humanity exists is our concern. After one of the recent elections, I um, saw this videotape of a church that was gathered and praying about the election, and the election was not turning out the way they wanted it. So um, the, the, the woman who was pastor of that church, prophet of that church, it was a charismatic Pentecostal church, began to pray, and she was praying about God changing the result of the election, you know, bringing, you know, doing something. And as she's praying, she starts saying things like, I'm seeing angels from Africa coming to the United States. And I thought, why? (laughs) 
Why would we assume we're more important than what God is doing there? Now, two things I need to say and follow up to that. One is send those cards, letters, and complaints to Dr. Jonathan Russell. <laughs> Second, hear me out. We've already said it's God's desire that the gospel go to every tribe, nation, people, and language. That's not limited to us. If you look at what God has done in the world over the past century, and you look at Africa, at the beginning of the 1900s, Africa was maybe 5-10% Christian, sub-Saharan Africa. The church has exploded there. Latin American countries are sending missionaries out. Asian countries are sending missionaries out. God is working everywhere. And he's working here too, even though we sometimes don't want to see it or don't think we can see it. We talk about problems with young people. There are, are revivals among young people that are incredible happening in our country. There's been Asbury, Asbury College. There's been other colleges. Auburn. Revival there. God is working. And we don't have to be in despair. We don't have to fall for the trap of someone saying, you know, you Christians, you're in trouble if you don't elect me. All we need is Jesus Christ. All we need is the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. When we become kingdom seekers, we're not just focused on what's here and in front of us. There's no attitude of, you know, God saved us for and no more. How are we doing in that? Let me ask you, how many unreached people groups have you prayed for in the past week? How many countries besides our own have you prayed for in the past week? How many lost people do you, that you know personally are you praying to see come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? There's no room for selfishness. There's no room for self-centeredness in a kingdom seeker's life. Also, kingdom seekers understand that their personal walk with Christ empowers their service in the kingdom. See, Jesus said we are to seek not only his kingdom, but also his righteousness. If we seek first the kingdom, we're going to be in God's word. We're going to be in prayer. The Holy Spirit's going to be working in our lives, and he's going to be working and changing us and transforming us.
sometimes I get worried about my own Christian walk because there's been periods and times in my life when I'm in God's Word and I'm in prayer and I'm going through the motions, but I'm not changing. I'm staying comfortable. Yeah, I got a problem. Yeah, I got the sin problem. That's who I am. It's not who God wants you to be. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. As kingdom seekers, we become doers of his word. And the truth of the matter is, when we are so busy doing the things he says for us to do, we don't really have time to do the things he says don't. A kingdom focus keeps us from worldly and human distractions. So let me ask the question. Where is your citizenship? See, the only kingdom that's going to last is God's kingdom. Every monument in Washington, D.C. will crumble. The parliament building in the U.K. will go away. Every palace will fall. Every capital will burn. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be one king. And there will be one kingdom. Are you a citizen of that kingdom? All earthly kingdoms will be pushed aside when Christ returns to reign. And the only question for you will be, did you trust him as Lord and Savior in this life? If you cannot say for certain that you are a citizen of God's kingdom, that you have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, we invite you to come. We invite you to put your trust in him. We invite you to put your faith in him. We can talk to you and share with you how you can do that. You can come during the invitation time in a moment, or you can meet with us out there at at the next step desk, which is out these doors and to the right. But believer, understand, you are a dual citizen. No, you, we are, you are, if most of you here are citizens of the United States, be good citizens of the United States. Nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to this world of God's kingdom, for which are you living more? Which is more evidently your treasure, your value? Who is your master? What is your worry? What is your concern? Jesus commands us, seek first the kingdom of of God and his righteousness. So let's seek his kingdom first by being a witness for him. Let's seek his kingdom first by building up one another in the faith. Let's seek his kingdom first by investing in what is of eternal value. Let's pray together. Father, as we... uh, close our time together this morning. I pray, Father, that you will just have your way, that your spirit will move and touch our lives, that if you're touching someone who is a believer but not a member of this church to become a part of our church, pray, Father, that you'll give them the strength to be obedient. Father, as believers here, we know people who are without Christ. We know people who need to hear the gospel. 
Help us to be faithful to pray for them. Help us to be faithful to look for opportunities to share the gospel with them and to have the wisdom to recognize when those opportunities come and to be bold enough to share the gospel when that opportunity arises. Lord, as we go from here today, help us go from here first realizing we're citizens of your kingdom, that that's our first priority, and that we are going into this world to serve you, to be a witness for you, and to glorify and honor you there. In Jesus' name, amen.